Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Now, here are your hosts of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, Andrew Olson and Roy Jones. Hey, this is Andrew Olson with Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. I am thrilled to be welcoming back Ben Straup. Ben is the Chief Growth Architect and Founder at Velocity Strategy Solutions. Ben, welcome back to the show, my friend. So great to be here. Always good to spend time with you, Andrew. Amen, brother. Always always a great conversation when you're here on the show. Ben is also the author of the recently released book, Master the Pivot, which is available at masterthepivot.com. Ben, I, I've got a ton of questions here for you today. Before we get into to much, let's, let's frame it up with this question. A lot has changed in the world since the last time you and I got a chance to sit down and have a conversation. What are you seeing and what are you learning right now? So I want to answer that question on two levels. Uh, one on kind of a human level and then one from my perspective at Velocity. And, and from a human level, I think we can all uh, agree that just the intensity of the season of work uh, is, is really beyond anyone's imagination. The speed of change. Uh, try to take a decade's worth of disruption and change and cram it into four months. That's what that's what we've been through. And I think just, you know, we're, we're all a little exhausted. We're all a little uh, anxious. We're all very hopeful that not only is, is we're, we're hopeful that this is a transition to a new and different normal and not the new normal itself. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I think everyone would do a good job to do two things. One, uh, remember to be grateful where, you know, we, we're alive. We're healthy. Many of us are. Some of us aren't. And I think that's a, that's a key thing. And, and I think the other thing is, is to you know, show compassion where you can. Those of us who lead teams and organizations, who lead clients, uh, take the calls. Take a little extra time. Create a little extra cushion on the calendar. I'm finding that those in the corner pockets of the days uh, and of client meeting conversations are really important, particularly at the leadership level. Uh, because everyone needs to process through this. And so our ability to show up for each other uh, is really important. From a velocity perspective, we're continuing to grow steadily. Uh, we're having great success helping organizations uh, achieve those revenue goals, you know, even in the midst of disruption. And that, that you know, that's really exciting. I feel very grateful, very blessed um, for that. You know, to build an organization around change management, you really need the prospect of the client to be aware of two things. One, their need to change and an urgency to make the change. <laughs> and when COVID hit, it kind of solved both of those problems all at once. Uh, there, there isn't anyone, uh, you know, maybe there's a few out there that are still holdouts, but everyone I'm talking to recognizes that change is upon us. Uh, there's an awareness of it. They may not have taken action just yet, or they may not be confident in the action they've taken, um, but they definitely feel an urgency to adapt. What I'm also learning is that in the midst of helping organizations grow their revenue and achieve sustainable growth, how, to, how and how we institutionalize that for organizations, I'm realizing that if we don't also solve the leadership gap, that we're not able to sustain that or the organization is not able to sustain that. So many times an organization brings us in to run what I call an edge initiative. So they don't want to disrupt the normal operations of an organization. They don't want to uh, put at risk operational key operational dollars to core business functions. 
So they bring velocity in and we're able to uh, operate kind of on the outer edges or peripheral, if you will, of an organization, test an idea, run through the hypothesis. But once that's uh, determined to be accurate and true and, and credible, integrating that back into the core operations is the challenge, particularly when you're handing it off to internal stakeholders who may, may or may not be ready to adapt. And so I've been trying to put my finger on how to solve that. And, uh, and, and, and even though within our framework, people is, is one of those core pillars, um, that's really been something that um, I've learned in a very important way in the last four or five months, um, especially, is that you can move an organization once, but if you want to keep an organization moving in that direction, you got to move the leader too. Um, and I don't just mean the executive, I mean management, I mean project owners, I mean uh, account managers, all of that. So I really had a sense that this decade would be the decade of disruption, but I didn't know uh, just to what degree that would happen in the first year of this decade, right? Uh, I mean, it's just been, it's been absolutely um, amazing uh, just how much, how much uh, has happened and how fast it's happening. And it's resulting not just, it's what we're learning is this isn't just an interruption. And I think for the first six or eight weeks, that's it. But it's really the forming of a new and different normal, which means that we're going to have to adapt how we operate as an organization, particularly around our talent and our revenue strategies, if in fact we're going to be successful in whatever that new normal is. I feel like most of our listeners are probably sitting here saying that decade of disruption was all forced into one 10 week period, right? I mean, it, Absolutely. It, it feels like it's been that significant. And I, and I want to talk a little bit for a minute about rapid change, right? So as, as you are scanning the environment, your clients, the organizations you're talking to, what do you see that, you know, wh whether it's by, you know, it's elective change or change forced upon us, what, what does that rapid change do to people on teams inside an organization? And what do you think leaders need to do to, to better support people through that kind of change? So that's it's absolutely a fantastic question. Um, I think one of the things that we have to be mindful of is that right now, more, you know, even more than, than revenue, the only thing that your competitor doesn't have is your talent. And so your ability to operate as an organization is dependent upon people's willingness to participate in the roles in which they originally signed up for. And when we're renegotiating those roles, everyone gets an opportunity to say yes or no. Hmm. Uh, and so if, in fact, we don't have a good strategy toward talent optimization, uh, we really put at risk revenue optimization. Now, that sounds like it should be backwards, right? Achieve the revenue, solve the people problem, because everything's going to happen in that order. And for people like Ben Straub, Man, hit the revenue, we'll figure the rest out later. But, but the problem is the data isn't bearing that out, is that if, in fact, you know, that you don't solve the people problem, you really put at risk, uh, you know, on an ongoing basis, your ability to achieve the revenue. And so right now, how do you create that stability? How do you create that safety? How do you create the opportunity and the culture that says we are a safe place for us to learn, grow, live, exist and be together and we're going to learn grow exist together forward and in the shaping of this new normal and so from from just some some highlights in that 
of what we're learning and we're, we're, we're a data first company. So we really start with that um, in every engagement that we have, but existing models aren't providing sufficient data. And it's not necessarily because the data is not available. It's because the assumptions behind the algorithms may or may not be true anymore. We don't know yet. And so there's a diminished um, confidence level that if we use numbers over the last three to five years that and into some type of predictive model, that that's going to actually play out. Now, six months ago, we would have had a tremendous amount of confidence in that. And the more data that we were able to throughput uh, into the system, then the, the better and more confident we would be in that. Uh, the other thing is that desired outcomes are still being evaluated based on norms and measures that were true pre-COVID. That's what I call living in business as usual um, or <laughs> being tone deaf is what is the phrase that I, I've really uh, used with leaders is that if we still think donors, when for a nonprofit or constituents, if we're in a membership organization or clients, if we're in a professional service organization or customers, um, are still engaging with our brands in the same way that they were pre-COVID, we're missing it. Which means if, there's, if you think that, that they're still, they see things uh, you know, that they might've thought were novel six months ago, that they're still novel, it's, it's not anymore. And so, so much has shifted that if we don't shift our, our mindset and reevaluate everything, we really risk being tone deaf and being tuned out. And if a ma vast majority of the population are exhausted and tired and and kind of barely just trying to stay focused on what they need to to keep everything together um, then you you're more at risk of being completely ignored and there hasn't been a time you know you know I've been in social media for a long time there hasn't been a time where technology has been more pronounced in its ability to prevent me from listening to you than there is right now uh, you know not only can I open the doors wide open and I consume everything you put out because it's just that good. Um, but if, you know, if at some point, you know, you started talking about something that really didn't matter, I could completely block you and you would never know and I would never hear. And so, you know, being tone deaf, we might just end up having a conversation with ourselves as a brand if we don't, if we don't, uh, you know, adapt. Um, and, and in that, you know, the rapid pace of change is just flat out exhausting. And we have to acknowledge that. And we have to uh, make room for that in our thinking. And, and I, I think in all of that, organizations are pushing their systems and their people to the edge and that's not sustainable. You know, that may be okay. We're going to get a lot of tolerance from your most loyal, you know, employees and team members uh, for a period of time, but we're quickly moving into a place that if we don't adapt how we construct teams and how we approach talent, as well as how we develop our revenue strategies and identify what success is, um, then, uh, then we risk, you know, trying to put, um, you know, trying to take strategies that would have worked six months ago and expect them to work and either be perpetually disappointed or accelerate people willing to go elsewhere, you know, in, in, in order to find a, a, better, a better place for them to exist. And, and then you wanna add in that, the fact that we're dealing with, you know, diversity and equality and inclusion issues in the workplace. And, and it just feels like every, every week there's a new layer of complexity that our team members bring into the, into the workplace. So, so in the age of empathy, you know, just like I call it the decade of disruption, in the age of empathy, we have to consider the current reality for teams 
first, even before revenue. And Andrew, that is so counterintuitive in my mind, but it's playing out in the data. Both have to be performing at peak levels to achieve your full potential. I just have, I'm, I'm becoming you know, really committed to that uh, observation because I'm seeing it again and again and again. So are, this is slight tangent, but I think it's valid. Are you familiar with the Harvard Business School service profit chain model? Yes. Okay. That sounds to me exactly like what we're talking about, right? Which says, if you want to maximize revenue and profit, which for nonprofit organizations, that might not be exactly how they think about it, but let's say you want to maximize donation revenue, then you have to get your staff to care deeply for your clients or your donors. And the only way you can really get to that level is that you as the leader and the organization care for your staff in a way that's meaningful, that they feel cared for. So, so the ultimate way it works out is happy staff, engaged staff, not happy as in like, I never have a sad day, but you know, well cared for, feel like they're taken care of, feel like someone's in their corner uh, from a leadership perspective, result in maximized profit. And it sounds to me like, like you're seeing that bear out in the marketplace on a daily basis. Absolutely. And it's been headed in that direction. You know, 2001 brought about uh, some changes. We started to see, you know, we saw Arthur Anderson and Enron disappear and people's entire retirement was wrapped up in, you know, immovable objects, the, the, the pensions of those companies that just disappeared in an instant. You know, you and I were just coming into professional life in our early years and that when that happened, that was kind of the, the first massive initiation of change. Fast forward to 2008 and you saw companies, you know, begin to uh, lay off um, people, you know, part of their normal operations and begin to work with what does it look like to have 1099s and W-2s in the workplace, which I think further eroded just kind of that trust and confidence between the employee and the organization. Now here we are again and organizations are having to make difficult decisions. So I'm not belittling that. I'm not, I'm not saying that you know, leaders shouldn't, shouldn't make adjustments in, their, in, their, in how they operate and, and, and their people decisions by any stretch of the imagination. But what that means is it's settling, the, it's settling the playing field. It's leveling it between the employee or the team member and the leader because that means that the leader needs to get buy-in or enrollment from those team members in order to get them aligned around the strategy. They can't just command it. You can't dictate right. it. You can't force somebody in there. Why? Because the counterbalance of that is that if I as a team member, as an employer, as a contractor, whatever, decide that I, I don't, I want to agree with your way of you see the world or the way you want to construct the team, I've got other options. And this is the thing that I think every leader needs to be paying attention to for those people that are staying through this who make it through the layoffs and all of that, that's your core team. Those are the people that you've deemed in the midst of this uncertainty are very essential to your operations. If you're not taking care of them, if you're not plugging them, plugging them in the right places, if you're beating the crap out of them, guess what's going to happen when the labor market opens back up again? Mm -hmm. uh, they're going to take themselves elsewhere and the institutional knowledge, the training, the history, the team dynamics that are going to be disrupted in that are going to have unbelievable implications on revenue. And that's why I'm so passionate that if we can solve the people systems and, and the revenue systems, that's where you really have an agile, flexible, and fully functional way in order to be able to achieve the kind of growth that you want to achieve. I mean, we just need to step back for a moment and realize that people are working in new ways with new people. 
They're reporting to managers they may never have met. They're focused on projects that they may never have worked on. They're feeling responsible for outcomes they're not even sure are plausible. Um, and then of course, all of the other workplace issues, there's so much built in and distraction that if we don't de-escalate the anxiety, we, uh, we will never be able to achieve the true growth capacity of an organization and allow the operation to thrive. And here's the other killer thing, and I think you see this a lot in your work with major donor, uh, particularly those major donor reps, particularly those who are responsible for transformational donor uh, work. Your high performers, if they're not positioned appropriately, will get lost and could even potentially become dysfunctional. You know, this is, you know, you don't ask a diplomat to be a warrior and you don't ask a warrior to be a diplomat, right? Um, and so we have to make sure we've got the right people in the right places around the right projects before we say, what are the right outcomes? What's the right revenue yeah. standards and what does success look like? So I, I think you're so right. I want to key on that. One of the last things you said there, you, you, you talked about people feeling lost and slipping into dysfunction. What are some of the warning signs that a leader needs to be able to look out for around that? So what I would say is, is that if, if you're, you as a leader are talking to your team and you don't have their buy-in and alignment, in other words, they're, they're either doing it because you told them to do it, they're not participating and collaborating. Like that's the first thing, that's ownership, right? If you're not transferring ownership that's there and what happens, what, is it, what does that not look like? If I, if I don't own it, then I don't care. I Just tell me what to do, right? If you start getting that from your team, you're in trouble. If you start having what I call drift, your high performers are now talking about what used to previously be called water cooler. We'll call them virtual water cooler conversations. <laughs> if they're only talking to you about that in your one-on-ones, that's massive drift. And that means that you're really slipping into dysfunction. If, if you've lost the discretionary effort, right? Like we as managers, especially when we see people grow into their role and they gain that confidence and they come, they come up to us the next day and they say, I had this idea while I was running last night and I want to show it to you. What do you think about it? And we sit back and we go, that's freaking brilliant. That kind of discretionary effort, when that goes, that's a design, that's a sign that, that dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the last, the, the last kind of straw is, is that if in fact, you know, people who have been solid performers or high performers for you, all of a sudden start to pull away. Not mm -hmm. only they're not participating, not only they're not owning, not only they're not bringing you new ideas, um, but they're, they're really starting to go dark. And, and, and in a remote environment, if you don't know how to manage people well, you can, you can go dark pretty quickly and, and for a long period of time before you actually recognize that because you're not coming to the office, you're not seeing their body uh, posture, you're not looking at their face uh, you know, on every call but, uh, or every day. And so in that environment, you could see people really go to the edge and then all of a sudden, you, know, you get a notice. They've left yeah. um, or, or you have to let somebody go um, or they've been in a meeting that um, they would have previously been an active contributor and now they're a detractor and they've, you know, flat out, another, no better way to say it, they pissed off the wrong person and now you got to deal with it, right? And if they're just in a bad state, then it's like, you know what, I got to, you know, we, we're going to have to find uh, another another option here. This isn't working out. And that's a, that's a really unfortunate, you know, reality. So each of the people on our team is a person and they need to be cared for and treated 
need to be set up for success. So no one person is the definition of success for an organization, but the teams that we build and how we construct those teams and they, how the outcomes that we hold those teams accountable for have to be aligned with strategy. Otherwise you create a lot of energy and activity and not a lot of progress. And what happens over time, you, if you have a lot of energy and a lot of, pro, a, a lot of activity and not a lot of progress, not a lot of affirmation, all of the other things start to set in. Yeah, for sure. Talk to us a little bit about, as leaders, how do we reconcile everything that you've said so far and, and start to create solutions that deliver on you know, both what people need right now to feel like they're in a healthy environment and to feel like they can thrive, but also, and, and which might be in, in conflict sometimes, also delivers on organizational objectives and ideally revenue. Like, how do we get all of that in alignment? Man, that is exactly what I've been wrestling through for the past six months. How do we get to that point? How do we begin to, to capitalize, capture and capitalize and process people data at the same level that we can do on the revenue side? And that's been the most frustrating thing out there. And the only solutions you know, that, that are probably easy within reach is you bring in an organizational development consultant, you do interviews with everybody, you get all these documents back, you, and six months later, right, when half the team is left or pissed off or completely sideways with the organization, you get the report. And then you're like, great, you just told me that we're dysfunctional. Now what? Right? right? And so it's like, okay, that's not very efficient. That's not very helpful. I don't really have a lot of tolerance for, for that. So that's not, that's not a really good angle. So there's got to be a way to utilize technology in order to do that. And that's really what drove me to a solution that we've now become a certified partner for, which is called the predictive index. This has been around for decades. Tens of millions of people have done it. And it has been utilized, that, that process begins with an assessment, but the assessment is not the end game. We, you know, and so what, what we've learned or what I, what I find in the predictive index is the pathway, the technology to capture the data and process the data in a way that it becomes actionable for the leader on the other side of it. And when, when in fact you can get, have a shorter interval between recognition of problem and implementation of solution, you have a greater opportunity to pivot. And right now, I'm sure it's true for you too, there's very little tolerance for a long gap between those two things, right? We got to identify, prioritize, execute, measure, learn, adapt, and then start the process all over again. And so the only way to get there is through technology. And that was what I was really blown away by with the, uh, with the predictive index. And I think what it really gives leaders the capacity to do are four important things. Alignment of people with strategy, organize teams around desired outcomes, set employees up for success from job design, placement, and hiring. You know, this is, this is not just saying, hey, HR, go find us the best person. This is the best person for the right role at the right time within the organization. And then how do we coach employees and leaders uh, to work together with objective data? Like, mind you, I'm, I'm a data person, right? So kind of the feely stuff, doesn't really work for me. I've been through every assessment process like you have under, under the, the sun. And we all laugh at each other. We pick at each other. I mean, this is like every executive offsite ever known to man, right? Let's take this assessment. Let's do this assessment. And then you come in, you learn about the assessment. You're like, great. I know everything about myself. And I know now why I frustrate you. Um, <laughs> but how, how does that speak into teams? And how do we, how do we use that? So 
that's that's what I'm most excited about. So for the predictive index, if you let me talk about that just a yeah, little bit, go for it. it starts with an assessment. And the first time I took the assessment, I, I blocked out an hour of my time because every other assessment is an hour, right? It's 150 questions. And I'm by question 40, I'm not even sure. This takes you about literally six to seven minutes, no lie. Oh, wow. And be, because it's based on, I, I don't know, 60 years of history and it's scientifically validated every 12 months um, through multiple sources and is a way to capture data to put into the system that then is bounced against you know, 40, 30, 40 million assessments that have been taken over the years, it's remarkably accurate. So it's a short way, quick way to get a bunch of data into the system. And guess what happens once we have data? We can process the data. So, <laughs> so then, then you have this like leadership portal. And, and the other thing I love about predictive index is that for me as a leader, I, I, every piece of information I need is accessible at my fingertips, not through Ben Straub or a member of the Velocity team being there in order to be able to hold your hand through the process. So in that moment, I can then chart out the, each team and how they relate to each other, how those teams are oriented around the business strategy and the strategic objectives of that particular moment. I can actually show a leader, the system will actually spit out what are the potential pitfalls on that team between individuals and how can you coach those particular individuals to success. I'm not talking about go read these 1800 books and go get a PhD in, you know, um, in occupational philosophy and then figure out how to, how to make it happen. Um, I'm talking about like, this is actionable stuff that you can do. It tells you exactly what, what to do. Even on the interview side, once you, design the position and you design it for the role that you need in that moment in time, it'll actually tell you interview questions. So not only do you have the behavioral and the cognitive analysis on that side of it, you can also have the, uh, have it produce for you key questions that will help you tease out where there are variances, how to reconcile those variances, which is just a remarkable thing to do. And, and to be honest with you, Andrew, I didn't believe it until I saw it. And when I saw it, I went, honestly, I had a moment where I had to forgive myself for all of the leadership mishaps that I've made with people. I kind of had to just ask forgiveness for myself and everybody, because if I'd have had this, I could have avoided so much pain, you know, and, and realizing because, you know, as you can tell, I'm kind of high on the innovation agility side, right? So who cares about if the rope is anchored to the mountain? Let's jump and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I know this sounds funny, but not everybody's like that. In fact, three-fourths of the people in the workforce today are not like that. And, uh, and half of those people either want to talk it out or work out the process before they take their next action. Mm. So as you can imagine... I really had to confess my own gaps in leadership were because I didn't have the right people data, which now I've been very consistent in producing high revenue. But in that, a result of that is either I haven't fully activated the genius of every single team member, or I've had to live with the fact that there's turnover. Sure. And, um, and so, and those things are painful. You know, I mean, every single hire is expensive. And, you know, and these days, you know, hiring anybody is a massive risk. 
So, so how do you find the right person? The right well, what if we took a different approach to that whatsoever? You know, completely, and said, how do we set our people up for success? So it may not be go find another person. It may be there's somebody already in your organization that's the best fit for that role. So right now, retention is very important for nonprofits, right? So don't put your hunters, your acquisition folks, on the farm team, on the farming team, right? Don't ask them to cultivate relationships of mid-level and mid-major uh, accounts in order to eventually upgrade them because you're going to frustrate them. Send them out there to go find those new people. Send them out there with the data and the portfolios that's going to accentuate where they're really successful and make sure that you have the right team construct for the right outcome that lines up with the right strategy. You know, and, 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 and go ahead. I'm sorry. I was, I was going to say, I just, I just listened to a podcast. Do you know the name Todd Duncan at all? No, I don't. Okay. So Todd is. I do now. Probably one of the, the world's uh, most successful mortgage bankers. Right. And I've been consuming content from him since probably 2002. Uh, Cause he's a great salesman. He's a great marketer. And he had someone on recently and she would say that she just sort of fell into a structure like this where she had a business partner and he was great at generating leads, but he couldn't close a lead for the life of him. She was great at closing leads, but her pipeline was always the thinnest because she didn't know how to do, you know, the cold calling and the prospecting to really get it, get it done. But when they, when they sat with one another and were honest about their strengths and their shortcomings, they said, well, wait a minute, why don't we just share in this equally? You focus on getting the leads in, I'll focus on closing them, and we can scale our business significantly because of that. And now she's you know, in the top five, her, her team, she and this other gentleman, are in the top five producers in the world of you know, closed contracts because of that alignment. But I think she would say it probably took her 15 years to figure that out, right? So what, yeah. I, what I love about this tool is that, you know, I don't want to say it's real time, but it's almost real time being able to identify, you know, what those potential gaps are, where somebody's strong. I mean, when I think about the nonprofit sector and the fact that we are turning over a significant portion of our workforce every 12 to 18 months, I just wonder if we start to adopt a tool like Predictive Index, how much more effective can we be by improving retention and putting people in the right places? And even more than that, what's the opportunity to cultivate the donor relationship, right? I mean, you, you and I know studies out there, five to seven years. So at 18 months, you know, you've got somebody that starts the relationship. You've got a second person that cultivates the relationship. You've got a third person that reaps the rewards of that uh, work of the other two. And so it's, it's really like, you know, 41st dates with the donor. Um, and uh, and it's, it's a very frustrating, frustrating reality. So, you know, what happens? What would it look like to have a major gift officer that's with an organization for 10 or 20 years, think about the value of that portfolio, just like an insurance agent, mm -hmm. um, you know, might, might have and knowing the ins and outs, they've lived life, they've done life with them. Think about what that might do. Now, that's, I know that's an extreme opposite of where we are right now, you know, but, but think about what might be possible if you had, if you had your best people that you didn't let slip through the cracks, and, and you had your kind of, your mid-tier performers elevated their capacity to perform simply by putting them in the right places with the right groups of people to succeed to solve exactly what you're talking about in that scenario. What, what if we actually spent more time as managers helping people be successful than pointing out where things are broken 
And, and as, as leaders, that's, a, that's two sides of the same coin, right? What makes us great leaders is we can instantly go through and say, this is broken, we need to solve it. But what's the root cause of that mm-hmm. brokenness? I mean, one of the big things that we do for organizations is gap analysis and root cause analysis. And you know that revenue is a lagging indicator. So I'm going to the other side of the equation to figure out what are the mitigating circumstances that are leading to that decline in revenue? Well, we got to think about that from a people side too. If our people aren't performing to their, their highest potential or to the potential that we have, then we as an organization have to take the responsibility to say, wait a minute, did I hire the right person in the right role? Do I have the right expectations? Do I have them positioned for success? And do I have them on the right team to give them the support system in order to be successful and to overcome some of those, you know, dysfunctional things. I mean, that's, you know, I, I've heard so much as a leader about culture to the point, Andrew, and I'm sure it's like you, like if I read another book about how to build a great culture, I'm going to puke. I'm sorry. I'm just too much of a results guy. I just don't have time to sit around and sing Kumbaya. And so for me, this tool gets to culture in a measurable way. You can, you can measure engagement, you can measure team construction, you can measure orientation, you can measure work preferences, and you can give the leader steps to take and they can do this with, with, on their own, right? So, I mean, you know, the process is, you know, you and I talk for a few minutes, I get your stuff set up in the system, I send you a behavioral assessment, you, you go through the process, I promise you, and, you know, in 45 minutes between two conversations, you're going to be able to see this as a leader. And whether or not this is work, working for you. And with a little bit of training, you can roll it out to your entire organization. And, uh, and then we can start helping executives really be great developers of people hmm. in the same way that they're great developers of revenue and strategy. And for me, that is the balance that this all brings to change management, which is based on the four pillars of velocity, which is people, process, revenue, and growth. And so that's what that that's what I'm most excited about, because, you know, when the right people are in the right roles, working around the right outcomes, the growth potential is limitless. And that is not a statement that can't be qualified, because I really do think we have not yet fully tapped into the most expensive expenditure in inside any organization, which is people. We've not yet tapped into their full potential. And shame on us as leaders. And I'm pointing the finger right at me first because I'm at the front of the line. Um, you know, I, I, like many people as a high performer, when I made that transition about 10 years ago into management and then senior executive management, I got there because of what I could do. But the biggest gaps in my ability to be effective as a leader, this is me being completely vulnerable, which is not a comfortable place for me to be. It had to do with, the fact that I really did honestly flat out just believe that everybody thought like I did. <laughs> why, why isn't achieving the revenue number the most important thing? Why isn't, uh, you know, creating a new product and finding a new market segment to sell it to? Why is that not the most exciting thing? And I was consistently baffling to me at times when you had great people organized around very important things who were able to deliver exceptional outcomes not get the same kind of juice in their system that I did when we were able to go back to the board or back to the CEO and report out and say, look, based on this edge initiative, we uncovered it, we've proven the hypothesis, now we're ready to integrate it into the operations and we're able to do that at a risk level, you're gonna love this, that the CFO can sign off on, which is a huge feat by the way. 
And uh, so why didn't that get everybody else jazzed? Well, it's because those people on that team may not have been the right construction for that particular outcome. Were they willing to do it? Yes, because they were high performers and they were faithful and they were loyal, but it didn't do it for them. You know what I mean? Like that thing that really cuts at your core. So if you're able to solve that, not in a soft way, not an I think, not an I hope, I, what do you think about this kind of thing? We're able to say, hey, your work preferences are this, and I really need that on this team. You know, an innovation team, somebody's gotta be worried about process. Yeah. It's going to frustrate the innovation people like me, but I need somebody to go, let's tie that rope, Ben, because <laughs> if you jump and it's not what you thought, you can, you're not going to die. And so that's a, uh, that's a big thing. So I, I think for me, you know, what's most important is that we got to line up our people strategy and our revenue strategy, especially in this time of disruption. Yeah, well, and you said something just a minute ago that, that I want to go back to. So you, you talked about people who are high performers, who are loyal, who will go along because they know like the organization needs it. It's the right thing to do that you know, they just innately they're going to deliver. Right. But that it, it's discomforting for them or, or, you know, might frustrate them. And I just wonder even not that those people would immediately say quit or become dysfunctional, but I wonder how many times that kind of experience plants the seed that grows into dysfunction or that grows into people taking the leap and leaving. And the more, you know, without us even knowing it, right. Kind of the frog in the boiling pot of water example. So how often do we drag people along on initiatives like this? And that becomes, even if it's the, you know, six months down the road or 12 months down the road, that becomes the catalyst for them saying, you know what, I should just go look for something else. I think it's probably more than we might realize. And I think, you know, adopting a methodology like this and a tool like predictive index, hopefully makes it a lot easier for us to align people around the right things and the right people around the right things to, to not create those avenues for people to depart an organization and to, to take their talent elsewhere. Uh, absolutely. I, you know, we've all been there, right? We've been inside organizations and we're high performers uh, and we've, we've existed in those organizations and there's been that moment when we realize, wait a minute, I'm expendable, I'm a cog in the wheel, and I'm at the mercy without any contribution of whatever the whim is of the leader that I'm responsible for. Which, you know, for high performers without contribution and ownership and those kinds of things, and I don't mean like actual financial ownership, I mean just ownership of the initiative. Uh, if that's not transferred, it's really hard to, to really live into your full potential. And that's when that drift sets in and drift over time will lead you to look elsewhere. And particularly right now, you know, people might not be as willing to make a leap, but there are still strategic hires being made today. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and organizations are being more focused and they're betting their dollars on the right people. And so if they can care for your high performers better than you can care for your high performers, you are at risk. And that's going to be an early indicator of your revenue potential. And that's what I really do think over the next five or 10 years, we're going to be able to prove at Velocity is that the biggest leading indicator isn't just pipeline development and lead generation and engagement and, and you know, email assets and you know, direct mail files and all those kinds of things. It's really going to be in your ability to find, attract, and place, position, and accelerate the growth and potential of the people that are on your team. 
And, uh, and that's, that's what's going to be the leading indicator mm. of your lagging indicator of, of that, that revenue potential. And so when, when disruption settles down and the people on your team that have been drifting, they're going to look elsewhere and they're going to go elsewhere and you're going to be surprised and, and you're going to be at a substantial disadvantage because that war on talent is going to be huge. So just like you're focused on retention right now with donors, that everyone's got to do that because uh, we're not really sure what acquisition looks like and acquisition's expensive and there's a long turn to, uh, to really get the full value out of that. We got to look at that from our people's systems as well. Yeah, for sure. So we're just about out of time. I got one more question for you. What in your mind are the kind of big questions that leaders need to grapple with right now today to make sure that they're, you know, putting their organization on that path to growth and success through a time like this? Right. Uh, I have three most important questions. What people data do you have right now? What do you have access to? Not what does HR have access to? And, and I, I love my friends in HR. I have some be- wonderful, beautiful people in HR. But HR as a department, as a division, was set up to protect the company from the employees. Um, that's the history of HR, right? So this is not just an HR issue. This is, this is a leadership issue. So what people data do you as a leader, manager, executive have in your hands right now? Second, what revenue data do you have? Because if you don't know your numbers, you're really in trouble. Like right now, you gotta, you gotta, know, you gotta know those numbers. And then how are you using and accessing both of those sets of data to make decisions today that will have implications tomorrow? And if you can't confidently answer those three questions, I absolutely think the predictive index is something that can give you the confidence that you need, that you're headed in the right direction and that you have the people you know, you have the right people organized around the right projects uh, targeted toward the right outcomes so that you can achieve the strategy that's necessary to accomplish whatever it is that your organization exists to accomplish in the world. Well, Ben, uh, talent is so critical. And I think this is a great conversation to be having. Obviously, people can get more information at masterthepivot.com. Where else can people reach you? You can also go to benstraup.com. That'll lead you to a page where you have for teams and for leaders. You'll be able to, to get uh, some additional information about Predictive Index. And then most important, uh, if you want to reach out to me, you know, it's ben at benstraup.com, B-E-N-S-T-R-O-U-P.com is my email. Or you can call or text me, uh, 615-829-6420, 615-829-6420. I promise you in about 14 minutes, we'll be able to get you set up. And then you'll take that initial assessment and we'll look at the output of that. And you can decide for yourself, no cost, you decide for yourself whether or not this is the missing link in your ability to activate your people to deliver on your revenue. Awesome. Hey, brother, thanks again for being here. Really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, brought to you exclusively by Newport One. Newport One can make a difference in your fundraising so that you can change the world. You can always reach us at podcast at newportone.com. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.